Hello, friends. Today is March 29th of 2020. We're in our third week of not meeting together, but we're online together. I hope you're all doing well. We're on the backside of this 15-day uh, that we're supposed to have the high-impact days of COVID-19. Uh, my family and part of our life group were supposed to be in sunny Florida this morning, but alas, we are not. We're here with you. It's been a crazy couple weeks, friends. And what I want to talk about today is it's the start of spring break. We're no longer on coronacation. No, that's not really what I want to talk about. I want to talk about a man that we don't know that much about. I want to talk about a guy that we know a little bit about, but what we know about him we don't like. We're going to take a look at the man who was known as the ultimate betrayer, Judas Iscariot. He's a mystery, he's an enigma. And I think his story is one that even today we can learn from. What I want to do this morning is take you through a couple, couple pieces of scripture in Mark 14. So I'm going to read it out of the NLT Bible this morning. But what I would encourage you to do is grab your Bible, open it up to Mark 14. We're going to read verses 10 through 21 and then skip down and read verses 41 through 46. So if you want to read it along with me, I'm going to give you a few seconds to grab that. My sermon title for today is Betraying Eyes. Having those eyes that are just built on betraying, not the eyes that are fixed on Jesus. Let's start in verse 10. Mark 14, verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priest who arranged to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted when they heard why he had come, and they promised to give him money, so he began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal for you? So Jesus sent two of them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. So the two disciples went into the city, found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. In the evening, Jesus arrived with the twelve, and as they were at the table eating, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you eating with me here will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, am I the one? He replied, it is one of you twelve who is eating from this bowl with me. For the Son of Man must die, as the scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. Then we skip down to verse 41. It says this, When he returned to them the third time, he said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. They're in the garden right now. But no, Jesus said, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. 
Look, my betrayer is here. And immediately, even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders. The traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. Then you can take him away under guard. As soon as they arrived, Judas walked up to Jesus. Rabbi, he exclaimed, and he gave him a kiss. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. Our text today deals with a man named Judas Iscariot. He is, without a doubt, the most notorious and most vilified of all the disciples. His name appears last in every list that lists the names of the disciples, except in Acts 1, where his name is completely omitted. Every time he is mentioned in the Bible, the word of God reminds us that he is a traitor who betrayed Jesus to his death. Judas was a failure as a disciple. He was exposed to the same teaching the others heard. He saw the same miracles that they saw. He was involved in the same ministries as they were. And what happened to him to have those betraying eyes toward our Savior is a question. I think these passages reveal Judas as he hatches his plot to betray the Son of God into the hands of his enemies and to ultimately see him arrested. So what I want to do is take the opportunity that this text offers to get to know Judas Iscariot a little better. We need to hear and heed the lessons that come from the life of this tragic character. Dr. John MacArthur reminds us that Judas and his life teach us two basic truths. The first one is that it is possible to be near Jesus and to associate with Jesus closely and still be hardened by sin. The second is that Judas is a clear reminder that the purposes of God stand true. No matter what anyone may do, they will never thwart the plan of God. God will always accomplish what he determines to do. And with those thoughts in mind, I want to reveal some of what the Bible teaches us about this man with his betraying eyes. And I want you to see Judas through the five P's that I've come up with for you this morning. His personality, his privileges, his problem, his plan, and his punishment. It's my hope that the Lord will use this lesson from this man's life to help us look deeper within our own lives making sure that we don't have betraying eyes, making sure that we have eyes that are fixed on Jesus in Jesus only. Let's start with his personality. We really don't know a lot about Judas from the biblical record. He's mentioned 20 times in the Gospels, twice in the book of Acts. He speaks on just two occasions. And like I said earlier, he is an, he's an enigma and he is a mystery. Yet from what the Bible does say about him, we can learn important truths about this man and his life. Let's start with his name, his first name, Judas. It was the Greek rendering of an Old Testament name, Judah. Judah was the son of Jacob and the father of the largest and most dominant of all the tribes of Israel. The name has two possible meanings, either Jehovah leads or he whom Jehovah praises. 
So this name suggests that his parents had hope for his future. They were probably a deeply religious family who had hoped that he would be led by God and that his life would bring praise to the name of the Lord. Little did they know that their son would be the one who would play the leading role in the sacrifice of our Messiah. Judah stands as living proof that having a godly heritage, growing up in the church, or even having Christian parents is not enough for us to be saved. There must be a conscious turning around from sin to embrace the life-changing, soul-saving encounter with Jesus. His surname is Iscariot. This tells us about where Judas came from. The word Iscariot is derived from the Hebrew ish, which means man, and Cariot refers to the town of Kerioth. So Judas is called man of Kerioth. Kerioth was a humble farming town located about 23 miles south of Jerusalem. Now, being from the south of Jerusalem means that Judas was from Judea and not from the northern kingdom of Israel. And since, Jude, and since he was from Judea, Judea was, was one of the only one of the 12 that was not from Galilee. The rest of the disciples were from the northern part of the nation Israel, as I told you earlier. Many of them knew one another. Some of them were brothers. Others were co-workers. They were fishermen. They knew each other from the, from the shores. They were friends became they ever, before they ever knew who Jesus was. Being the only real stranger in the group meant that Judas would have been somewhat isolated from the other disciples. It's also true people from the southern regions of, his, of, 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 the, of the kingdom felt superior to the people from the north. So he had that going for him as well. See, these facts enabled Judas to keep a very low profile and helped him camouflage his hypocrisy. While there's no evidence that the other men ever excluded Judas, he may have felt like an outsider. We do know that Judas worked his way into a place of trust because the other disciples chose him to be the treasurer of the group. But we know that Judas used that position to steal from the disciples' funds. I think it's interesting to note that in every list that names the disciples, Judas Iscariot's name is always listed last. I think that illustrates the wide gap that separated Judas from our Lord Jesus. He was so isolated from the rest of the disciples because of his background, he was also separated from them spiritually. It's my belief that he was the only unbeliever in the crowd. Maybe all this was what led to the start of having those betraying eyes. Let's move on to his privileges. Judas's life reveals that he enjoyed many of the same privileges uh, of the Lord's other disciples. In Mark 3.13, there is no question that Jesus has chosen Judas to be a disciple. He was chosen by him to fulfill a divine plan. And G Jesus makes it crystal clear that when he chose Judas, he knew who he was, he knew what he would do. Everything that Judas did was part of that eternal plan of redemption that was ordained by God before the foundation of the world. There are three Old Testament prophecies that tell us about Judas betraying Jesus. And this begs a question for me. Could Judas have been saved? I think he could have been. Had he turned to Christ by faith, he would have been saved. 
He had every opportunity. You think about the parables of the unjust servant, the man without a wedding garment, the ten virgins. They were all designed to speak to Judas and to turn him from his evil plan to keep his betraying eyes at bay. However, the Lord knew before he chose Judas that Judas would betray him into the hands of his enemies. So while Judas could have been saved, it was probably really a never a real pop possibility for him. Here's what I think. I think when Jesus called Judas, he willingly followed. I think Judas was following Jesus because he believed Jesus would defeat Rome and liberate Israel. He was not following a savior. What he was following was a man that he saw as a revolutionary. And like the other disciples, Judas was chosen to be with him, to be with Christ. Imagine that. Every miracle. Imagine being there. Every parable, every story he told, every sermon, every single act of compassion was designed by Jesus to reveal his identity to his followers. Eleven of the twelve got the message. Judas never did. That is what makes it so difficult for us to understand this. Because Jesus tried to touch the heart of Judas in many ways. But Judas had hardened his heart against every attempt of the Lord to reach him. And his betraying eyes were focusing in on that moment. I think some people have a hard time with the idea that, G that Judas could live with Jesus for over three years and still not believe in Christ. Yet I believe that we see that same thing happening in the world around us all the time. People will sit in a church for a lifetime under the word of God, the preaching of the gospel, the prayers of God's people and his saving power in the lives of those around them. And still some people never get it. And they never get to experience eternal life. And that's a real tragedy. Judas and the rest of the disciples were empowered to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to cast out demons. And with the power of God, they saw the lame walk, the blind saw, the deaf heard, and people who had sin in their lives were brought to faith in Christ by the preaching of the twelve. Preaching of the twelve. Even Judas preached with power. Even Judas worked the miracles, delivered the demon-possessed, saw many people saved. In other words, Judas could not be distinguished from, other, from the others in his work for the Lord. And that's a really sobering thought. Judas was a wolf among the sheep. And no one knew it but Jesus. I'm not even sure that Judas knew. For all we know, he was so caught up in the work that he was doing while serving Christ, seeing that the fruit of that work, that he may have convinced himself that everything was right between him and the Lord. But those eyes, they couldn't stop. Jesus tells us that many will face God in that condition of doing great things in his name, but not really ever knowing him. We have to make sure we know him. Keep our eyes fixed on the prize that is eternal life and make sure that we are the ones who say we are who we are. Let's look at his problem. We are told that Judas went to the religious leaders because he wanted to betray Jesus. Like everyone else who followed Jesus, Judas thought that Jesus had come to do the work 
of the Messiah. They saw his miracles, his power over demons, the power over Satan and nature. They heard the way he taught, the, what he, the way they saw the way that he lived, and they believed that he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah. And like the rest, Judas was expecting Jesus Christ to overthrow Rome, break the yoke of Roman oppression. He thought that Jesus would be the one to deliver Israel, establish a restored kingdom, and richly reward his followers. And when it became apparent that Jesus was not going to do those things, Judas became disillusioned with the Lord. His betraying eyes focused in now on how he might gain by betraying Jesus. Judas followed Jesus because he wanted power and money. He never embraced the spiritual kingdom of Christ. Why did he stay with Jesus? I think he was looking for a way to use Jesus to make himself rich. Remember that Judas had kept the money that the little band collected as they traveled from place to place, and he was stealing from it. So part of the problem with Judas began with the confusion as to the identity and ministry of Jesus. And as time went on, he became disillusioned and what affection he may have had for Jesus turned to pure hatred. When John writes in his gospel in chapter 12, we see Judas speak for the very first time. And when he does, he complains about the way the money is being spent. You may already know this story, but let's just run through it real quick. Judas was enjoying a feast that was held to honor Jesus in Bethany. And that the, as, the feast, as the feast progressed, a woman named Mary entered the room and she brought with her an alabaster flask filled with pure nard. That's an expensive perfume used only by the wealthy. And she broke open the flask, poured the contents over the head and the feet of Jesus and began to wipe his feet with her hair. When Judas saw this, the calculator in his brain just started working overtime. He estimated that her ointment was worth about 300 pence or a year's wages of the average worker. So today that would be equivalent to about $20,000. Judas was livid. He did not believe that Jesus was worth that kind of extravagant love. By what he called a waste... Judas had been prevented from stealing a portion of the money for which the ointment could have been sold. When Judas said this, he is mildly rebuked by Jesus. But still, Judas does not repent. He does not examine his own heart. He is confirmed in his hatred of Jesus and immediately he seeks how the, that he might betray him to the Jews. I think something that's terribly interesting in this, in this part of the story is that we note that the other disciples heard the objection that was raised by, by Judas, and they agreed. They thought that was a waste of money. See, this is where his hypocrisy is so complete that even the other disciples were taken in by Judas for this moment. This serves as a warning for our hearts today. We have to be very careful who and what we follow. There are some people who love material things way more than they love Jesus. There are some people who live to get their own way more than they desire his ways. Those people will lead you into trouble. 
he, you would be far better off to follow no one but Jesus himself. People look at Judas and wonder how a man could, could do all that he did, see all that he saw, and be so close to Jesus and yet be lost. Listen, I believe he was lost when he preached. I think he was lost when he cast out devils. I think he was lost when he healed the sick. I think he was lost when he listened to the Sermon on the Mount. I think he was lost as he saw the miracles of Jesus. I think he was lost when he watched Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. He was lost when he betrayed Jesus, and he was lost when he committed suicide. This is a sobering thought. Because the lost man can do anything the saved man can do, and he may even do it better. Just because a man preaches, just because he prays, witnesses, gives works, uh, gives, works in the church, attends church, whatever, it does not prove that he is saved. A lost man can do all of that, and he can do it with success. You can't base your relationship with Christ on what you do. Salvation, friends, is by faith. There must be a moment of commitment in our lives when we come to Jesus Christ by faith, repenting of our sin and calling on him for our salvation. Judas was no different than any other lost person. Now, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings today, but I need you to hear this. You wonder why you do the things you do? You wonder why you can't break that cycle of sin in your life? I think the reason is simple, friends. You need a Savior. You need to repent, and when you do, I promise you, everything in your life will change. Okay, let's look at his plan. Judas approaches the Jewish leaders and negotiates a deal to betray Jesus into their hands. Matthew 26, 14 through 16 tells us that that price came to 30 pieces of silver. According to Exodus 21, 32, it was the price of a slave. It wasn't a lot of money, but it was all that Jesus was worth to Judas. He hated Jesus, Jesus so much that he betrayed him, that he betrayed him for, amount, for an amount that came up to about nothing. If you're talking about it in today's terms, Judas betrayed Jesus for 25 bucks. Not even enough to fill your gas tank. It doesn't seem like a lot, does it? But here's the thing. People today still sell them out for a lot less than that. We see it in young people who want instant pleasure. We see it when people choose their way of living over his. We see others betray him in alcohol, some in drugs, some from sex or some other worldly pleasure. And I'm sure it is worth nothing when you compare it to what our souls cost. Anyway, the deal was struck. The plan was made. And Judas set the wheels of betrayal into motion. Judas took his money and he blended back into the group as though nothing had happened. He waited for his chance to destroy Jesus. His betraying eyes were now blazingly focused. His opportunity came just a few days later at the celebration of the Passover. And during the meal, Jesus, uh, Judas crossed that line. He reached that point of no return. Now, we don't have time to go into all the details of those events. But there are two of them that shed incredible light on the character of Judas. 
When John is writing his gospel, he reports that during the meal, Jesus taught his men a much needed lesson about humility. Jesus arose from the table, wrapped a towel around his waist, and assumed the place of a slave, washing the feet of the 12 disciples. The 12 disciples. Judas, knowing what he was going to do, just sat there, totally unmoved by the washing of his feet, that act of the Lord's that was an act of love. Even Peter protests when the Lord tried to wash his feet, and during their exchange, Jesus makes it clear that he knew one of his men was lost and would betray him. Later in the meal, Jesus comes, becomes even more direct with Judas. He clearly exposes, exposes the treachery in his heart. All of this in an attempt to awaken his conscience and to give Judas an opportunity to repent, but he does not. Jesus hands Judas the sop. Now the sop was a piece of bread which was dipped into a fruit mixture that was much like jam. And to be handed the sop by the host at a meal was the ultimate form of love and respect. Jesus honored Judas and attempted to break through the hatred that gripped that man's heart. Judas does not turn from his plan. Those eyes lead him to leave to start to go do his business. After Judas leaves, Jesus shares the Lord's Supper. And I find it amazing that while Jesus instructs his true disciples about the greatest act of worship that's given to the church... Holy Communion, Judas is out conducting the single greatest act of treachery the world has ever seen. They finish the meal, and then Jesus and the three go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus prays. Listen, Judas knew where they were going to be. So he, along with a great multitude of soldiers, come to arrest Jesus. The soldiers come ready for a fight. Jesus met them and identified himself to them. Judas had given that, the soldiers that signal that he, by the, which they would identify him. Judas said that he would kiss the man that would be Jesus. A kiss. A kiss speaks of love, of affection, of tenderness, of respect. A kiss is, is, is intimate. When Judas walked up to Jesus, he did not just give him one kiss. The tense of the verb suggests that he kept on kissing him. This display of false love and affection for Jesus only makes his deed darker. Let's talk about his punishment. After Jesus was arrested, Jesus, uh, Judas began to have pangs of remorse for what he had done. He never came to a place of repentance, but the powerful influence that Satan had held over him had started to subside, and he realized what he had done. He tries to return the money, but it's too late. The deed was done, and Jesus is on his way to the cross. Satan used Judas for his purposes, and then discarded him like a piece of trash. When Judas saw that he could not fix what he had done, 
He threw the money down in the temple and he went out and committed suicide by hanging himself. Apparently he couldn't even do that, right? Because the limb or the tree, the limb on the tree or the rope broke and his body fell from a cliff and burst open on the rocks beneath. The money that Judas left at the temple was reportedly used to purchase a field where strangers could be buried. And it's reported that Judas was the first person to be buried there. Friends, it was a tragic end to a tragic life. So what about us? Are we truly saved by the grace of God? Let's focus that in even closer. What about you? Are you truly saved by the grace of God? Are you in a personal faith relationship with Jesus? Or are you just counting on your good works to get you in? Are you expecting to get to heaven because you are a church member? Listen, it did not work for Judas and his betraying eyes. And if you want to experience all that God has to offer, friends, over these next few weeks, fix your eyes on Jesus and grab hold of everything he has to offer. Let's pray. Father God, you are omnipotent, omnipresent. You are all loving and we thank you so much for all that you do. We thank you for your creation and all that you provide us each and every day. But most importantly, we thank you for your son Jesus in whom we can all be saved. Help us to not be like Judas. Help us to focus our eyes on you and all that you offer. We want to be the people that can move the mountains that are in front of us with you by our side. We love you so much, Jesus, and we ask that your spirit that still lives with us today embeds itself more fully in each one of us each and every day of our lives here on earth until we can join you in heaven. Lord, you know of all the ailments and everything that is going on in our nation, in our world, and we thank you so much for having a hand in it. Keep us safe and following you until we can return together again as your people here at Redeemer. Thank you, Jesus. And it is in your name that I pray. Amen. Have a great week, friends.